Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us and that it's followed us all the way here. And I thank you for the people that know you and that love you here and the people that don't know you and don't love you yet. And I thank you for the people that are trying to love you, but they're just tired. And I pray that you would use these words, your words, to renew us. That you would mend the brokenhearted and break the hard-hearted. I just need you so much. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do the good work that you know how to do. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel like it's such a gift to get to see how the kingdom goes forward in different areas. Um, I grew up as a swimmer. Are there any swimmers? Any swimmers? Oh, a number of swimmers. Um, So in in Greenville, South Carolina, where I'm from, we had this big summer league. And so every year uh, I would get so excited about this time. Like in the next week or two, that's when they would, the, the swimming would start and everyone would jump in the cold pools and you'd just go. And I remember just how much of a huge part of my life it was. Every summer, I, I coached from 15 to 21 and I swam on a lot of those years as well. And I just grew up with it. It's such a core part of kind of the, when I think about growing up, I think about swimming. And... Um, so there's a big county meet we have in, in South Carolina, and, uh, and I didn't know any, and so this was maybe two years ago, I didn't know anybody that was there, and so I just, I, 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 was, in, I was in South Carolina, and I thought I was just going to go, because I had such fond memories, even though I didn't know anybody there, and I just sort of sat in the back of the bleachers, and I remember just crying for a long time. <laughs> Nobody knew me. I was just this random guy crying in the back of a swim meet. I'm sure people are like, why don't you come a little closer to daddy? <laughs> but I remember thinking that my children are never going to have the thing that I had. And maybe some of you feel like that as well. That the things that, that built you, that the things that made you, that the things that you love so much... You're kind of worried that maybe your kids won't have those things. I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up very poor, but I didn't know I was poor at the time. I was just talking to my brother about five years ago. And I said, hey, did you know that we were poor? And he said, yeah, mom made $11,000 a year and she had four kids. Um, and I thought to myself, the thing that I have loved, I've kind of fallen in love with Habakkuk. Habakkuk is kind of like Job Jr., it's, it's this very short book that packs a big punch, but it won't mess your Bible reading up, you know? For those of you who are trying to read the Bible in a year, I feel like Leviticus and Job, if you can get through those two, you know, you're probably going to make it. But Job has been the graveyard of some of my plans. Um, <clears throat> but Habakkuk, I would encourage you to read it because it's... So I'm going to try to do the whole book. Nathan said I could go for a couple hours. No, I'm just saying he didn't. Uh, 
but I just want to just give you a, 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 just a bit of an overview and then just sort of work through um, this last bit in chapter 3. Because, so this is kind of the, the generation, generation after Josiah. So let me do a little quick uh, review of the Bible. So God made man his own image. And man turned away from God. God didn't give up on man. He poured his dump truck of blessings on Abraham so that they'd spread them out to the world. They enjoyed the blessings but didn't really spread them. God, send, God began to send them prophets and kings and other people and eventually so Israel and Judah split. Israel is down at this point. So it's just Judah left and Judah's dirty. They're wrong. They're not doing what God wanted them to do. And most prophets get their word from God and what do they do? They give them to the people, right? But Habakkuk is, they say Habakkuk in in England. Uh, Habakkuk uh, is is different in that it's just a conversation between he and God. The first bit is so charming, I won't read it all to you. But Habakkuk at the beginning it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? It's this very intimate look at the beginning of Habakkuk, is a prophet going straight to God. Because he knows that the world, not only is the world corrupt, but even the people that call themselves followers of God are corrupt. And have, you ever, have you ever called out to God and you're angry with Him for how He's given you this husband, or this wife, or this bad kid? Or you can't get into this school and you sort of call out to Him and say, I need something more than you're giving me. Well, this is the book of Habakkuk. Because he sees the evil and he sees the wrong and he goes to the source. And I'd encourage you to follow in the footsteps of Habakkuk to the source about the sorrow of your own life. And God's response is, I'm going to do something in your time that you wouldn't believe. Kind of the thing that we all want, right? We all want God to respond back, I'm going to answer your prayer and you wouldn't believe it. And how does he do it? He says that I'm going to overrun you with the most evil power in the world and Judah is going to fall. Have you ever had God answer your prayer but not really how you were wanting it to be? This is the book of Habakkuk. This is the book of Habakkuk. He said, oh yeah, I'm going to come and I'm going to undo all the evil by sending you these barbarous people that are going to destroy you. It's such a powerful passage. Because we oftentimes kind of idealize the past and think, we wish we had the days of Josiah. He's one of the very few kings. That's why you hear people name their children Josiah, because he's kind of one of the few that you can actually name your kid after. (laughs) But this is the generation after it. When kind of the ways of the world have changed and, and people have begun to fall away from God and, and they're worried about what's going to happen next. But one of the amazing things about the message of the Bible is, is that it's going to get worse. Because we, we know this uh, back in the DVD days, we know the special features of the story is that we know that God was going to send His own Son and that it was going to get worse. 
that Jesus was going to have to die for the world to be made right and, be, and, and to rise again from the grave. That there's something about our faith that is inextricably linked with death. That if death does not happen, resurrection cannot happen. But instead of sort of entering into this life of sacrifice and death and giving our life away, what do we do? We kind of find this little puddle of happiness that we can sort of manage. And we try and protect others from this puddle. And we don't want anyone to step on this puddle, even though it's very shallow. It's all we have. And so we we sort of turn away from this life of sacrifice and following Jesus in His life of sacrifice and service. And we just want this small little puddle of happiness. But the secret of our faith is that God always picks up the bill of sacrifice and pays it down with joy. Do you want to have a thriving professional life? Do you want to have a thriving marriage? Do you want to have a thriving family and thriving friendships? Don't protect them. Lay down your life for them. That the secret of our faith is that we run to death. We run to sacrifice because that's what we do best. Because we know that in in Christ we are buried with Him in baptism. We are buried with Him in death. So we leverage our life towards death. Towards sacrifice. So instead of this small little puddle, this small little puddle of happiness that we always protect, we jump into the sea of joy through the passage of sacrifice. And the thing that I love about Habakkuk at the end is that, I'm going to read it again. I won't read the Shigianoth part because I don't pronounce it right either. But in, in, in 16, he's, 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 he's basically getting ready. He's getting ready for the Babylonians to take over Judah. He's, he knows it's going to get worse. And so what happens when, when we know it's going to get worse? We get more protective of our little puddle. But what does he say? He says, you tramp, he, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, nor, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. He's talking about concrete things in his life that he's anticipating getting worse. You know, a modern philosopher, Ariana Grande, puts it this way. <laughs> she says, A light is coming. To take back everything the darkness stole. A light is coming to take back everything the darkness stole. So if you're preparing your house to be robbed, you know it's going to be robbed. Our life as a life of faith says... The world is going to take from me things. I need nothing from the world because God will reward my life with sacrifice. He know, we know it because He did it with Jesus. He put the down payment with Jesus and so my life is going to work out. So in England we have these, they call them allotments. So no one has any yards in England. 
So they have this place that's like a 30 yards together, and everybody gets to grow their little vegetables in this allotment. So uh, in, in, the, in the kingdom of God, what we say is, is that our lives are kind of like an allotment. And we want to have a flourishing life, right? We want our families to flourish. We want our communities to flourish. And how does that happen? You leave your allotment and you lay down your life that other people's allotments may have big tomatoes and big cucumbers. And while you are laying down your life, laying down your life for other people, God will tend to yours. God will pick up the tab of your sacrifice. Jesus says that if you give up anything for Him, anything for His name, for His namesake, for His kingdom, He will repay you a hundred times. Not just in the life to come, but in this life now. Now listen, I'm no stockbroker. But if I knew that a stock was going up 100 times, I would, I would find a way to suck any bit of currency out of my life and buy that stock. This is the invitation of God. That you, uh, when, I, when we were uh, moving, we, we originally lived in Spain for four years, and uh, I was going there and I was sitting down with these, these, my team leaders who were just these seasoned missionaries. They actually came out of the Children of God cult. Um, but just wonderful people. And I gave them all my ideas, you know, of like, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to solve poverty in the city. And um, I was 25 and I knew a lot more than I know now. <laughs> and uh, they were like, that all sounds really good. And they said, we'll, we'll give you the recruiting pitch that Jack Miller, who's the founder of our organization, Serge, he said, we'll, we'll give you the same pitch that he gave to us. You can do all that, and we'd love to have you, but at the end of the day, we want you to come and die. Because that's what our community needs. Our, we need, our community needs people that will lay down their life for their friends. You see, uh, it's, it's kind of fun to be in the uh, American, but not in America, because uh, you guys do such curious things. <laughs> and uh, I, I know that I'm, I'm behind. You know, like, um, you know like when you're in a race and there's always somebody that's faster than you? I think about my old field, field days. days. And um, I, I know that I'm just a few steps behind how America works. And so I've been asking how sort of America works with other people. And uh, it's so interesting that in some way, so Jesus says love is laying down your life for other people. And the American culture says love is expressing yourself. Um, and it's so, hard to, uh, it's so hard to argue against that, right? <laughs> how can you argue against love? <laughs> But we're not talking about the same thing. <laughs> but the thing that I have been so charmed by, and so one about, about this passage, is at the end of the day, he says, I'm, I, I don't need any of these things that I'm so used to. He said, yet I'll, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy 
in the God of my salvation. Maybe you've seen these TED Talks of these rich people uh, standing up in front of other people, or maybe you've just been around these rich people, or maybe you're a very rich person. Um, All rich people say, money doesn't make me happy. You've heard this before? Guys, money doesn't make me happy. And yet, most of us here think that if I had a 20% pay rise, or uh, how do you say that in in America? Uh, uh, Promotion. How do you say pay rise? Raise. Uh, if I had a if I had a, ra- a twenty percent raise, I'd be a happier person, right? Everyone thinks this. <laughs> the rich say this is not making me happy. But in our world, now, now the, what, what, would, what would it be like to think of the opposite being true? What if you got a twenty percent, a fifty percent, a seventy percent pay cut? See, my, see, I'm just a step behind. It's just a step behind. What would we think? What would we anticipate our lives being? We've got to pull back. We've got to protect the puddle. But what does he say? I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Do you anticipate joy when you lose things? Do you anticipate joy coming when you are disadvantaged? Because the amazing thing about Jesus is that he mortgaged, he mortgaged his power and his wealth so that his enemies would get stronger. So loving your enemies make, means you make them strategically stronger. And you have no other defense than God himself. And what does it say at the end? God the Lord is my strength. That I can lose everything. That I can in some way choose a life of death. Because the luxury of our faith is that we can do death. We know how to do death. We we know that anything we give up... There's this great sermon by Jonathan Edwards when he was 19. Um, He has this quote. He says, Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost, and the best is yet to come. Do you really believe that? You know, as Nathan was singing, and I could hear him from the Sunday school hour, I thought, man, what if it's really true? You know, when you, when you hear someone sing and, they, and they, they seem like they believe it, it makes you sort of start thinking, maybe it's true. But what if the good things that you have can never be lost and there is a reward to come and that everything you lost will be restored to you? We've had a hard year this year. <laughs> for those of you who are, who are on our emails, you can sign up for our emails in the back. You know we've, we've lost two children to miscarriage. We've lost four children in all. Uh, we were almost kicked out of the country two or three times. And I remember, I remember just thinking, but one day I get them all back. I have three kids now, but one day I'll have seven. So if you get it all back, if there is joy at the bottom of the well of sacrifice, then why don't we mortgage our life 
now. If it's a hundred to one, if anything you give up, you get back a hundred times, why don't we do it now? Listen, my job is to talk to people about Jesus and, and giving me money. So this would be a normal segue to say, hey, you guys should give me a bunch of money. I'm on, a, I'm on a sinking ship. Don't give it to me. Don't give it to me. Give it to somebody else. You guys are the, are the people you support. What would it be like for you to begin to see your assets as a currency that will always mature when you give them away? That do we want flourishing relational life? Do we want flourishing professional life? Know that you can give it away and God will pick up the bill. It's an amazing faith that we can lose nothing. We can lose nothing. One of my, uh, one of the, one of the kind of the great joys of my life and being in our context is just seeing new people encounter Jesus and then what that looks like. It kind of, uh, it kind of makes some people a bit more reckless. Um, I remember when I when I was going through the process of surge, I did this long psych exam, and they said, Stephen. All your psych exams came back that you are very impulsive and that you're a high risk taker. And they said, we think your sin pattern is so dangerous that it could take a whole, a whole team down. And so I was like, is that bad? <clears throat> so I can tell I'm drawn to risk takers, but, um, but in, in our context, we do these VBS. Maybe you guys do a VBS in the summertime. And uh, there's all Hindus in our neighborhood, so only Hindus come, basically. Um, and over the years, little by little, <coughs> little by little, a lot of these Hindu children have become, you know, teenagers and then uh, college students and things like that. And it's so funny to go to our VBS because we have 35 college volunteers to help the, the VBS work. Um, and so they're li- our leaders, so, you know, if you have to go to crafts or you have to go to... Uh, soccer, football. If you have to go to uh, each station, is all run by these, like you know, which is not, not normal. But all of them are Hindu as well. <laughs> so most of the volunteers in our context, but they love being a part of our church, and they they have such fond memories of this church taking care of them as children, and now they want to kind of give back and they want to be a part of it. And little by little. Uh, this little cohort will have to go through leadership training, which is just basically us telling about the gospel and how they can follow Jesus and how they can live out the gospel as they're, as they're uh, being these camp counselors. But uh, one guy, um, one guy came through, and he's in these leadership cohorts. He's talking about Jesus, and, and he said, you know, I'd really like to start studying the Bible, which is a big risk. And so he started coming to church, he started coming to Bible study, and um, he said, he, he actually said, he said, I want to get baptized. Now, in our context, to get baptized means I'm never going to speak to my, my parents again, I'm going to do this totally alone. And uh, so we were all praying, we're so excited, and then he said, okay, I'm going to talk to my parents, and then we never saw him again. He would answer our calls, he wouldn't come back. Because there's something about mortgaging your life on the sake of Jesus that inevitably is going to attract evil. 
there's a girl that was 11. Um, is this recorded? Okay, uh, I won't tell your name then. And she is just this ama- very similar story. She went through uh, all of our um, VBS times, and she actually came to faith. And um, so then she was leading our worship, and uh, she's 18 now. And she, she's off, she went off to, to school, and, um, <clears throat> and she was so excited because as someone from a Hindu background and who speaks Gujarati and uh, in a college environment where there are lots of people from a uh, South Asian background, and um, she was so excited. She, she's on this little text group. Do you guys use WhatsApp, or is that not a thing? WhatsApp's normal. Um, and uh, so she was so excited. She said, I just sat down with this girl, and she's a Ph.D. student, and I started talking to her about faith, and she's, she, 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 I, I said, well, do you want to study the Bible together? And she said, well, what do I have to lose? And so we were praying for this girl and so excited about what's happening. And, and I thought to myself, what does it take for an 18-year-old to sit down with a Ph.D. student and start sharing your faith? <laughs> you got to die a little bit to what she's going to think or how she's going to think or what it's going to be like. And, but that's our superpower as followers of Jesus. His death, it has no sting. Now it hurts. But we know that the accumulation of sacrifice in our life is an accumulation of wealth. An accumulation of reward. An accumulation of good things that are to come. I I love being in our context because I get to be with people that are... They don't have our jargon. They don't have our, our language that we use that sort of signal how far you are. Have you been around someone who doesn't know Jesus very long and they use words that you're not used to? Uh, we have a guy who, so in our context, there's about uh, eight church plants, and my work is, uh, my background is as a pastor um, and as a counselor. So I do a lot of training for American missionaries that are coming in that want to be long-term missionaries, and then a lot of local leaders that are uh, sort of being risen up from these churches. And so I do a lot of theological education, a lot of mentoring, and I do a lot of uh, kind of crisis management Crisis management is, uh, in, in January, it's dark at 3.30 because um, we're so far north and it's cold and rainy and London is not uh, very charming in the wintertime. Um, but uh, so I, when people break down, I get calls. <laughs> That's kind of my... So being around people that have uh, mental, uh, uh, mental illness problems and different things is a very comfortable spot for me, which is a little bit strange. Uh, I was around a lot of mental illness problems when I was growing up, so in a weird way, it kind of feels like family. Um, um, so, you know, that's kind of an unusual thing about me. But anyway, all that to say, we have this guy who's come through what we call an Asha shop. So in, in London, because there's a million South Asians, we saw a need to start a, what they refer to as a charity shop, or we saw what we call a thrift store. A thrift store with Asian clothing South Asian clothing for people that are moving from South Asia. And so we started one, Asha, is Hope in Hindi, and we actually have five of them now. We give about a half a million pounds away a year um, to ministries that are local and, and other. But a lot of them are connected to the church. So anyway, all that to say that um, a lot of, you know, you wouldn't go to Goodwill and expect to sit down and have tea with the person behind the till. How do you say till? 
the register, uh, you wouldn't really say, oh, I'm so excited about going Goodwill. I think I can get a really good tea and sit down with the person behind the register. It's not really like a context thing here. But in our context, it's very normal to come in, have, there's couches, and you sort of have tea. And anyway, there was a guy that came through uh, in our context, and uh, they said, hey, you should, come to, you should come to the Sangit with us. So these new words. And guys, the Hindu background, and he started coming for about a year, and he was, he was excited. He, uh, we had Thanksgiving time. You know, I was telling you about that before. And they said, what's the thing that you've been most thankful for this year? And he said, you know, I've been thankful for this community. Um, he struggles a lot with mental illness, but uh, just a joy to be around. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a ruling elder in my context, so I'll preach infrequently. But I was talking to him after a sermon, and he said, and I said, you know, it's just so good for, it's so good to have you as a part of our community. It's just nice to have you. And he said, Stephen, I, I don't want to fool you or anything. Like, I don't. I don't follow Jesus. And I said, oh, it's okay. You know, we're just happy that you're a part of our community and that you, you really contribute and all this kind of stuff. And he kind of stopped me and he said, well, let me tell you. I don't, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I am an admirer. And I'm an admirer of the community. And now this isn't to sort of like make uh, our 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 church or myself to be out to something more than it is. But it's just, it's an amazing thing to think that do I admire Jesus? Is, is my admiration for him on a regular basis that in some way that the, a, a big part of my faith is I just, I just want to know how, I, know, I want to know what he knows. I want to live out what he lives. I want my life to be a life of flourishing underneath the dominion of God. Because we can have that as followers of Jesus if we're committed to sacrificing our own well-being for the well-being of our enemies. I remember when, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, I'd, been in, I'd been overseas for just a short amount of time. And um, I don't know, have you ever met somebody that's just very, kind of just a sincere person? Uh, I kind of think about this one girl who came up to me. She was a short-term trip uh, <laughs> in our context. And she came up to me and she said, you know, What's, what have you, what's been the biggest thing you've learned in the first year of being overseas? And you know when you sort of think more about your answer and just sort of something kind of just pops out? Well, I had one of those moments and I just thought, I, I thought I'd be better at it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I was extraordinarily optimistic that my skill sets were amazing, but I thought, I know Jesus. Other people don't know Jesus. Well, let's get together. But the amazing thing about the kingdom of God is that our little tiny sacrifices actually lead to something huge. I saw this. We have the guy in our context, his Muslim background. He started coming to our church, and uh, he doesn't follow Jesus, but he, he sort of gets roped into coming to the services. Um, and uh, he was sitting in the back, kind of like if there was a couch in the back of your um, back of this auditorium, and he was sitting, playing on his phone in the back. And I thought, ah, I should probably go sit with him. And uh, so I just sort of reluctantly kind of went back to the back, and I sat down and started, you know when you try to start talking to someone and then it goes nowhere? And so that was happening. It was going absolutely nowhere. And, um, and I was starting to sweat because it was a little awkward. 
But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay, and when something's going to happen. <clears throat> I just stayed there. I started trying to talk some more. I sort of changed the bait and threw it out there, you know, to see nothing. I changed the bait and threw it out there, nothing. And then we just sort of sat in silence for about 10 minutes. And I was feeling so uncomfortable, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, you know what, I probably better go get my kids. You know, you can just sort of throw your kids right into the bus. Like... <laughs> I probably better go, man. Like, uh, I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> and I stood up. And he stood up. He stood up. And he just gave me this big hug. And he said, thanks for that. It just meant so much to me. And I remember thinking, who is this guy talking to? <laughs> but then it made me think, oh, this is how the kingdom of God goes forward. My awkward, small Nothing perceived ultimate failure happens. And this unstoppable nature of the love of God actually pierces into new areas. That I tried my best and nothing happened. I I tried to give so little and I got nothing in return. And then the tidal wave of God behind me won. And then the freight train of the Holy Spirit did something. Our our, our resources are so small. And what we have to leverage in terms of the kingdom of God seems so piddly and so nothing. And yet it's like a little seed. It's like a little bit of yeast. It's like an unstoppable force. It's like planting an acorn underneath a marble slab. The acorn wins Every single time. So why don't you give it away? I don't know what it is. Your money, your kids, your, your house. Maybe you can come and work with me. Only if Jesus was raised from the dead will it all be worth it. So friends, my prayer for myself certainly And my prayer for you is that you would run to a life riddled with failure and sacrifice. That you might drink in the depths of the joy of God. Because we oftentimes have this narrative that Jesus sacrificed so that we don't have to sacrifice. But the reality is, Jesus sacrificed so that our sacrifice would always be worth it. That when you young moms get up at 2 a.m. and you think to yourself, why did I do this? God will remember you and reward you. That when you 18 and 19-year-old college students and everyone is, is, is giving themselves to some sort of dream of wealth or some sort of Uh, pleasure uh, in terms of sexuality or or something, and you have this narrow path and you feel like such a, a, a not cool person, God will remember you. When you have enormous amounts of wealth that are coming to you and you give it away, God will remember you. When none of your friends listen to your parents, and even though you don't think that your parents are right, when you listen to them, God will remember you and he'll reward you. As Hebrews says, he said, you must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Death is the luxury of faith and the luxury of the resurrection. Let's pray.
God, thank you that you make our lives worth it, that this powerful narrative of death and resurrection mean we have nothing to fear and we have nothing to lose. We have nothing to prove because we know that we are secure in the arms of God. Help our lives to be riddled with failure and sacrifice knowing that you're going to pick up the bill for all of our tears and for all of our sorrow. We know that you were a man of sorrow. Help us to follow in your footsteps because we know one day that all the sad things will come untrue. And one day, all of our tears that we sowed, we will, we will harvest a harvest of joy. Remind us of these truths, we pray. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.